It's really good to be together this morning. Um, let's let's take a moment and just gather our our minds and our hearts uh, and ask for God's help as we open up His words. Let's let's pray together. Um, Father, it's so good to to be together as church family. Um, it's so good to lift our voices together. Uh, to sing your praise, to join with creation, with the mountains and the ocean uh, in praising you this morning. Um, we've just sung, nothing compares to the promise we have in you. And so, Father, as we open up your word and we read some of your amazing promises, um, Father, we really want to pray that our hearts would find their center and their anchor, and their firm foundation, and their nourishment, and just their everything in your word and in your promises. Um, Father, help us to sink our hearts deeply into your word this morning, and to feed on it in faith. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, we're going to read um, some verses from Isaiah 40. We've come to a major turning point in the book of Isaiah. Um, and I'm going to read just the first few verses of Isaiah 40, and then we'll kind of set the scene in terms of what's going on um, at this point in Isaiah. Um, so Isaiah 40, uh, reading from the first verse. Uh, and this is what it says. Comfort, comfort my people says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Um, really want to encourage you this week. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk about not only that bit of Isaiah 40, but a little bit about the whole chapter. Um, I really want to encourage you this week to go and find a quiet place with this chapter and just read the whole chapter uh, and then read it again, read it out loud, read it slowly um, and chew on it. Um, it's one of the great chapters, I think, in Isaiah and in all of Scripture. Um, but let me begin, in trying to set the scene, let me begin with Spider-Man. Um, so the, my, my children are a little obsessed, or some of them, with Spider-Man. Um, the, the middle one of the most recent trilogy, they make so many Spider-Man movies, um, was called Far From Home. Um, and I want to kind of steal that phrase or borrow that phrase a little bit this morning. Um, maybe if, if it's not stretching it too much, we can think of Isaiah as a trilogy of movies, uh, as three movies like you often get. Um, uh, in the film world. Um, and if you remember the kind of little summary of the book that we put up at the very beginning, 
Um, if we can think of chapter 1 to 39 as the first movie, and that's kind of where we've been for the last number of weeks. So you're very familiar with the context of Judah is threatened by enemies. Judah is surrounded by enemies, especially the Assyrian Empire, which is coming closer and threatening their kind of doom and destruction. And Isaiah the prophet has very often been saying, destruction is coming, desolation is coming, the end is coming. Um, if you've been reading Isaiah, you may have noticed something interesting, that near the end of that first movie, as you get into chapter 36, 37, 38, uh, and near the end, um, the threat of Assyria actually seems to retreat a little bit um, under King Hezekiah, who was one of the best of kings. Um, Assyria actually seemed to take a step backward, and the, the imminent threat of destruction seemed to kind of fade, and you almost feel like you're going to get a happy ending to the movie uh, as Assyria takes a step back. But then you get a little end credit scene at the end of that movie, just before it closes. Um, Isaiah says to Hezekiah that a greater threat is coming, a greater threat than Assyria, and he names that threat as Babylon. And he says very ominously, when Babylon come, they are going to take everything. Right? That's, that's how those first 39 chapters end, with that ominous note of Babylon is coming, they are going to take everything. And if you like, if you're watching the movie, then it ends with to be continued and it fades to black. And if the, if the movie maker of the second movie was trying to help us out with what's going on, maybe when we come back to, to start the second movie as we turn to chapter 40, it might begin with a caption like that, something like 160 years later. Now suddenly the scene has changed. Um, the worst that Isaiah had predicted has happened. Um, the land has been devastated. Jerusalem and the temple have been destroyed. The people have been carried away into exile in Babylon. And they are now far from home, right? So you get my Spider-Man reference. The, the middle part of Isaiah could easily, like the middle Spider-Man movie, be given that title. The people are now far from home. They are in exile. They are in Babylon. The worst that they could possibly imagine has happened. The worst that Isaiah predicted has happened. Um, and so maybe we're then wondering, well, what kind of words will God speak to his people now? We've noticed in the first 39 chapters, people sometimes call that part the book of judgment because there's been a lot of words of judgment. Um, lots of little moments of hope, lots of little moments of promise, but a lot of words of judgment. But now as we turn the page, the tone becomes very different. And people sometimes call this the book of hope, right? So if you've been struggling with the first 39 chapters, uh, you're now entering a part of the book you may find a little uh, easier to read. Um, and maybe these words especially that I want to focus on this morning. Every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill made low. Um, I've, I've kind of had my eyes opened a little bit this week as I've been Thinking about this passage, um, I have always taken these, these very famous words to mean God will remove every obstacle in our way and make the path 
clear and easy for us. I always kind of assumed when I heard those words, every valley will be raised up, every mountain will be made low. God's going to make my path easy. Um, and actually, when I looked more closely at the context here in Isaiah 40, I realized that's not quite right. Um, the, the raising up of the valley, the, the leveling of the mountain, is about making a path, making a road, making a way. But it's not for me, <laughs> and it's not for you. Um, it says just a verse earlier, um, it's a way for the Lord. It's a highway for our God. The, the raising up of the valley, the bringing down of the mountain, is to make a, a road and a way so that God can come to his people. It's a little bit of a different emphasis. To, it's not about making our path easy. It's about God coming to us. And immediately I'm kind of struck by this thought that we often think what we most need is for our way to be made easy. I know I often do. But actually what we most need is for God to come near. What we need is God's presence with us as his people. Um, maybe reflecting on this a little bit more, if, if you'd asked the people in exile in Babylon, um, there's a little map again for those who like a map. Now it's not the Assyrian Empire, it's the Babylonian Empire. Um, and so the people had been taken from down here in Jerusalem up over the top of the Arabian Desert and over here to Babylon uh, where they're in exile. And if you'd asked the people in exile, um, what valley do you need raised up? What mountain do you need brought low? They would have said, well, <laughs> it's kind of obvious, isn't it? Um, we need our exile to end. We need the way open to return home. We need to get back to Jerusalem. We need to rebuild. And then, of course, um, skipping ahead in the story a little bit, after 70 years in captivity, that happened. The Babylonian Empire was followed by the Persian Empire, and Cyrus, the king of Persia, um, changed his mind about the people and allowed them to return to Jerusalem. Uh, and it must have felt for the people like a mountain had moved out of the way. The impossible had happened. Uh, they got back to Jerusalem, they rebuilt the city, they rebuilt the temple. And yet, as we've talked about before, in many ways, that return was disappointing. They were back in the land, but they were not really free. The temple was rebuilt, but something was missing. Something of the glory of God was missing. Something of the presence of God was missing. And so even when they were back in Jerusalem, they still felt like they were in exile. They still felt far from home. And so we're reminded the greatest exile human beings experience is not circumstantial. It's not about our circumstances. It is an exile of the heart from the God who made us. And if you and I don't have a sense of God with us, we will not be at home anywhere. And the obstacles that are in our way could be removed and we could get what we wish for and still find that we're not at home because our home is in God. And so, as we said with Isaiah 35 last week, I want to suggest again that Isaiah 40 also, although it got a partial fulfillment in the return from exile, its deeper fulfillment is in Jesus. Um, Mark, whenever Mark began his gospel, do you remember how Mark began? He began by quoting from Isaiah 40. 
by quoting uh, in a little bit of a paraphrase these words, uh, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. And who did Mark apply those words to? He applied them to John the Baptist. And if John the Baptist is the voice preparing the way for the coming of the Lord, then what that means is that in the person of Jesus, God himself has come near. And so we can say, in Jesus, God comes to where we are in our exile, in our lostness. In Jesus, God removes every obstacle between humanity and God. In Jesus, our sin has been paid for, to use that language from Isaiah 40. In Jesus, God comes to make his home with us again. And so I love those words. Jesus, uh, when he was speaking of the Holy Spirit in John 14, said, my father and I will come and make our home with you. Right? That's the, the finishing of everything Jesus came to do. My father and I will come to make our home with you. Um, so um, maybe I want to bring it home a little bit to where we are right now. Um, I wonder, is it a stretch or is it not to say maybe for some of us the last two years have been a kind of exile? I don't want to compare it to being ripped out of your country and taken uh, to a foreign empire, but maybe there's some aspects of the last couple of years that have been a kind of exile. We've been disturbed out of our usual comfortable lives. We've been dislocated and disorientated. Um, we have felt maybe at times not at home, even in our own lives, maybe even in our own homes. Uh, and maybe right now, most of us are feeling more optimistic that the barriers and the obstacles in our way are being removed. And we have that feeling of the exile is over and we can go home and rebuild. And I find myself wondering this week, um, is there a danger that we forget what we most need? <laughs> Could we be like the people of Judah who got what they had been longing for and then found that something was still missing. Because for you and I, what we most need is not the removal of masks and restrictions, however much we long for that and are glad about that and look forward to that. But what we most need is the presence of God himself, for God to come near and make his home with us. That is our heart's true home. And so for the rest of um, my thoughts this morning, I want to I wanna reflect with you from Isaiah 40 on what happens when God comes to his people. I, I just find this chapter um, so beautiful uh, in the promise that it's full of. What happens when God comes to his people, this thing that we most need? Um, and I want to reflect uh, very briefly on four things that happen when God comes to his people. And the first one is this, that God comforts his people. It's the very first word of the book of hope. <laughs> comfort, comfort my people. Um, it's a beautiful word, the word comfort. Um, sometimes we use it in a more light, light way um, to speak of luxury and a, a kind of soft, easy life. So we use it of a, a cozy armchair is comfortable. Uh, we use it of a luxury hotel. Uh, we use it even of quilted toilet paper, right? 
These things are about comfort. Um, but you don't need me to tell you, here, here we mean something much deeper than that. When we are, as human beings, distressed, when we are disturbed, when we are disquieted, we need something or someone to come and comfort our hearts. And of course, we often use the word of a parent comforting a distressed child. Um, it says in Isaiah 40, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And the word literally means speak to the heart of Jerusalem. Um, and this is what God's presence brings. He is the comforter. So when God comes to his people, he brings this deep and profound comfort to the depths of our being. And I've been reminded this week, God's presence can bring comfort even when life is difficult, even when the circumstances are deeply difficult. Um, last year, I heard a quotation from a, a secret Christian in Afghanistan um, that I was so struck by, I have it on my wall in my office uh, to challenge me and remind me. And they said, we are tired of all the death around us, how we survive daily, only God knows. And then they said this, he knows because he has been kind to dwell with us. It's not an extraordinary thing to say when you're surrounded by death. Um, last week, I read a little prayer letter from a couple working in Kiev in Ukraine, um, just on the eve of war, as they had no idea what the next day was going to bring. And they said, they talked about making plans to try to flee if they needed to with their daughters. And they said, whatever scenario will happen, we know that God is with us and will continue to protect us. We feel his presence in our life daily. You hear the testimony of those who are in circumstances that we can't imagine. And of course, we need to pray for a change in their circumstances. And we, we have been praying and we will pray for those mountains to be moved. Um, but I also want to make sure we don't miss what they are saying, that even in the midst of awful circumstances, God is present, and that is deeply and profoundly comforting. It's not a trite word or a light word. It goes to the very depths. Um, I've been reminded so many of the ways that we go wrong, I think, in life are because we look for comfort in all kinds of other things. Um, we can look for comfort in food, or we can look for it in alcohol, or we can look for it in shopping, or we can look for it in porn or sex, or approval or applause or popularity. But none of those things reach the deepest parts of us. If our hearts need comfort, it's found in the presence of God. God comforts his people. The second thing, um, God does when he comes to his people is God gathers his people. And this is down in verse 11, which we didn't read at the beginning. Um, verse 11 says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And I've been struck by the fact that maybe over the last couple of years, there are many ways that we have been scattered like sheep. Um, and at times we've been physically separated and unable to gather. Um, I think often 
Um, we've been scattered in our minds and our hearts a little bit all over the place. Um, and sometimes scattered in our relationships where there's been conflict or tension or disagreement within families, among friends, within churches. Um, and I've been encouraged by Isaiah 40. In all those places where we have been scattered, we need God, our shepherd, to come and gather us and bring us together and give us peace and make us one. Um, and I'm struck by the fact there's a special word for the young, the lambs. And many people say this has been a tough time for children and young people. This would be a good time for us to be praying as a church that the good shepherd would gather the young and carry them close to his heart. Um, and I'm also struck that there's a special word for young parents. Um, I think in lots of ways, this has been a tough time to be caring for young children. It's always a really tough calling. It's been really hard these two years. And it says he gently leads those that have young. And that's a good thing for us to pray at the minute for our young mums, for our young dads, that the good shepherd would gently lead them in the days ahead. When God comes to his people, he comforts them in a deep and profound way. He gathers his people from all the places they've been scattered. Third thing, maybe more surprising, um, God humbles his people. Um, actually, as you read through Isaiah 40, lots of this chapter speaks, as well as speaking very tenderly of God, caring and comforting and, and gently leading, it also speaks a lot of God's majesty and his greatness and our human smallness. And it uses lots of very evocative language, but maybe my favorite is it says in verse 22, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. <laughs> right? When you think about God and who God is, the people of the earth are like grasshoppers. And I find myself thinking, you know, you would think a time like the last two years would have had a humbling effect on human beings that we would all have realized how small we are and how fleeting life is, that people are like grass, as it says in verse 6. We're like grass and we're like grasshoppers. Um, we'd have realized how little control we have and how little we understand. Um, and I wonder, would you agree with me? It, sometimes it seems instead many of us seem to have become more arrogant and more proud and more sure of ourselves and more certain that we are right and everybody else is wrong. Um, I read somebody this week saying a few weeks ago we were all experts on immunology and vaccines and now we're all experts on geopolitics and Ukraine and everything that's going on and we seem so cocky at times and sure of ourselves. When God comes near, all of our arrogance and pride is stripped away and we realize that we are very small and we see very little and we understand very little and we have little power. It says in Isaiah 40, even the nations are like a drop in a bucket. Right. We're like grasshoppers. Um, and actually, as I reflected on this this week, something in my spirit said, although that sounds like a hard thing to learn, that we're very small, it's actually also very liberating. Just, there's something very joyful about being a grasshopper. 
Um, it's not our job to save the world and put everyone else right. And we can jump around and play our part gladly and let God be God. There's actually some, there's a great relief in saying, I am a creature and not the creator. Right? So I want to encourage you to enjoy being a grasshopper this week. Um, when God comes, he comforts, he gathers, he humbles. And the final word is this, that God, when he comes to his people, strengthens his people. Um, I think if we've been paying attention, um, and if we're being honest, these last two years have taught us that we're not as strong as we think we are, that we're, we're not as strong as we often pretend we are. Um, and I wonder, do you feel your weakness today? Um, and if you do feel your weakness, I want you to hear the word of the Lord. I want, I want you to close your eyes and hear these words. I think we can only hear this promise when we're aware of our weakness, when we're strutting around pretending to be strong. We can't hear it. But if you feel your weakness this morning, listen to the word of the Lord. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I wonder wonder which of those words you most need to hear this morning. And when God comes to us, he comforts us, he gathers us, he humbles us, he strengthens us. Um, let me just remind you as, we, as I finish, um, Jesus in his death and resurrection has removed every obstacle. He has raised up the valley. He has brought low the mountain. He has opened the way for God to come near to us and make his home within us. There is nothing left to be done. Jesus said, it is finished. There's nothing left to be done except to open our hearts and ask him to come. And so let's do that together and let's pray. And then we're going to sing a song in response. Let's pray together. Father, it's, it's often true we, we would love for you to come and make our path easy. Um, but Father, we know this morning that our greatest need is for you to come near and be with us. And we want to thank you this morning that Jesus has opened the way, a new and living way, for us to come to you and for you to come us and so father wherever we are this morning in our lives and in our hearts i want to pray would you come to us this morning where we are disturbed and distressed and disquieted would you come and comfort 
your people this morning. Father, where we are scattered in our lives and our our minds and our relationships, would you come as our good shepherd and gather us and carry us close to your heart and gently lead us? Father, where we have got puffed up and proud, we are sorry. And we want to pray, would you come and humble us? Father, where we feel our weakness this morning and our weariness, would you come and give your people strength so that we can walk and run and even soar like eagles? Father, wherever we feel far from home this morning, would you be kind to come and dwell with us? Father, I want to pray that there may even be someone in the building this morning or someone at home who has never opened their heart to you and has lived their life far from you. Father, I want to pray that they would hear the invitation this morning. Jesus has removed every obstacle and you want to come and make your home with them. Father, give them the courage this morning to say, come Lord Jesus, come Holy Spirit, come Father, um, forgive me, cleanse me, make me new, come and make your home within me. Thank you that when we pray a prayer like that, you come running (laughs) to meet us and to make your dwelling within us. We pray these things with gratitude, with thankfulness this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen.